0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to share with you the first case that went to the United States Supreme Court where an elite philanthropist was arguing that you can't teach Christianity in our public schools. I'm going to share with you how the Supreme Court ruled. It may surprise you. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to Today's Rebellion. Thanks so much for listening into the show. As I said in the introduction, today's topic yes, education one more time. Don't get impatient with me. Don't consider this to be just another message from Piper on education. It's important. It's important because education matters, ideas have consequences. School Board Elections Matter, and we just came off of those elections this past Tuesday. And that's why I've spent so much time talking about uh, public schools and our educational system, the establishment, the status quo of the ivory tower, of the academy, of my enterprise, my profession, the, the career that I gave my life to. My entire professional career has been dedicated to education, education, And therefore, I do go back to this particular topic repeatedly because I believe that education has great power. It has great power for good, and it also has great power for for evil. If you have good ideas, you're going to have good culture. If you have bad ideas, you're going to have bad culture. So what you teach in your schools, those ideas that you propagate, those ideas that you inculcate into your progeny, into the generations that follow you, Those ideas will bear fruit, and they will become the marker of what your country, your culture, your county, your community holds dear. Those ideas will define who you are as a people. Therefore, school board elections matter. If you elect school board members that want to conserve the time-tested truths that work— within a constitutional republic, those ideas that have prevailed over time to give more freedom rather than less, then you're going to bear the positive consequences of those school board members governing and issuing their opinions and their direction within that context. If you elect school board members that don't believe in conserving those time-tested truths. If you elect progressives who believe that they're smarter than the lessons of history, that they can set aside all of those ideas that have proved to be valuable and start embracing ideas that have proven over time to be bad, like collectivism and socialism and communism and sexual nihilism. If you elect school board members that embrace those Bad ideas, you're going to see the results of those ideas bearing bad fruit in your culture. And as I've said dozens of times, our educational establishment, our schools, our public school system cannot wash its hands of the behavior that we see prevailing on the daily news. You can't spend six, seven, eight hours a day with a child and then somehow decide that you don't have any responsibility with the way that child behaves. So the point is this, when you see culture unraveling, when you see the inability of young people to think critically... When they can't analyze given ideas, they can't even engage in a good argument logically, coherently, and rationally. And when they start disparaging rationality and logic and reason as being nothing but the products of white privilege, you know you have a problem here. When you see ideas being extolled, which essentially are nothing more than racism, reverse racism, you can call it that, or you can call it just pure racism. When you start judging people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character— And that's what Black Lives Matter promotes. That's what critical theory promotes. When you start seeing those ideas being taught in the classroom and then acted out in culture, you have to draw a conclusion. The conclusion is obvious. Garbage in, garbage out. You teach bad ideas, you're going to get bad behavior. You teach racism, you're going to get a bunch of racists. You teach sexual nihilism, you're going to get a bunch of nihilists. You teach students that... There's no such thing as a biological fact. You're going to get a bunch of students that are confused and start to dishonor women as if they don't even really exist, and they'll start stealing the things that women should have, such as bathrooms and showers and their own sports. All of this stuff is happening for one simple reason. We've been teaching all of this stuff in our schools for decades, and any teacher or any administrator or school board member that's listening to me right now who's offended by this, who feels like somehow I'm attacking them, needs to reflect on the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. You need to reflect on that quote, because if you're remaining silent in the face of this failed paradigm— You have to ask yourself what responsibility you have by virtue of your silence. If you're an educator and education as an industry is failing, if your scores in English and mathematics, if your scores in analytical thinking are declining over time, then you have to ask yourself what responsibility you have to fix it. And you're not going to fix it if you just remain silent in the midst of that failure. If you see repeated situations of social dysfunction in your culture, in your classrooms, in your schools, in your communities, dysfunction such as young men, using young women as nothing but objects of recreation, you have to ask yourself, what role did your industry play in producing those young men? Did you do something to encourage that behavior or did you do something to discourage it? Have you been teaching young men, for example, the importance of using a condom while you've taken the 10 commandments out of their curriculum and out of the classroom and out of the school? Well, maybe maybe there's some there's some consequences that have that have been born in culture as the result of the educational paradigm that you're part of. Now, I'm not saying that every one of you teachers and administrators listening to me right now are guilty of promoting this this crap. I am saying this. If you've remained silent and you're not fighting it aggressively to the point of discomfort, then you might be complicit in the problem. Your silence has become violence, to quote the progressive left. Do you get my point? Education matters. And good teachers, good administrators, should be blowing the whistle. Every day, every minute, you should be blowing the whistle and saying, we're doing it wrong. Our graduates are behaving badly. The product that we're producing is a problem in culture more than a solution. We've got way too many dysfunctional alumni, and we have to take some responsibility. We have to engage in some self-reflection. And some critical analysis of who we are and what we're doing, because the outcomes aren't all that great. You know, I said yesterday that the apostle Paul claimed that he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, and I don't think he was saying that in a negative way. We we hear the word Pharisee today, and we always we always hear it through. A, a pejorative lens. We think that it's an insult to call somebody a Pharisee. I don't think that's necessarily what Paul was saying when he claimed to be a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was saying that I'm a professor among all professors. I'm an educator among all educators. I'm part of the elite class myself. I've got several of those degrees hanging on my wall. I am one of you. So don't tell me I don't know Jewish law. Don't tell me I don't understand what I'm talking about. What I am going to tell you, however, is this, that as a Pharisee of all Pharisees, I have the responsibility to call into question my own industry, my own profession, my own people. Because if I don't, I'm guilty of what Bonhoeffer warned of. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. I think that was what Paul was saying when he claimed to be a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Well, if you're an educator, you're an educator of all educators. You've got a degree hanging on your wall. You understand the industry, and therefore, you have to be willing to do what the Apostle Paul did within the early church. Put yourself out there at risk to challenge the status quo, to challenge those that are corrupting the goodness of the ivory tower, the goodness of what it means to be an educated person, the goodness of what it means to be a liberal thinker, somebody who can actually engage analytically in culture as a thoughtful, rational, logical human being somebody who knows how to use pronouns correctly, somebody who understands the difference between a man and a woman, and somebody that understands that America has actually accomplished a few good things, and it's not bad. It's not bad from its inception. In fact, America has been exceptional. Maybe those are things that should be taught, and maybe we'd have a different culture right now, if our schools would have taken those ideas seriously. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to quickly share with you the Supreme Court case that I referenced in the introduction. As I understand it, the first case that ever went to the Supreme Court of the United States, where it was argued that Christianity should not, should not be taught in a public school. And I'm going to share with you what the Supreme Court actually said in its decision. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. I spent some time trying to set the context for why I care so much about this. Uh, This ongoing discussion of what public education is, is it good or is it bad right now? Is it succeeding or is it failing? Is it uh, improving or is it getting worse? I don't think those are bad questions, and just because I'm asking them doesn't mean... I'm attacking good teachers. If you're a bad teacher, bad administrator, bad school board member, yeah, I am attacking you. But if you're a good teacher, a good administrator, a good school school board member, then recognize this as a challenge to continue uh, to fight the good fight, uh, that you've got somebody out there supporting you. But also recognize it as a challenge to admit that you can't just stay quiet. You can't hunker down, and you can't just try to avoid the storm. That's impossible in today's educational environment. You've got to step forward and you've got to say no that's wrong. We're not going to teach that in our schools. Get the rainbow flag off of your wall get the transgender flag off your wall. Yes those flags are on classroom walls right here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I've got screenshots of them they're there. Don't let anybody tell you they're not there. Don't let anybody tell you that they're not teaching critical theory. In your local schools, because it is being taught right here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Critical theory, intersectionality, uh, racial privilege, specifically white privilege. These things are being taught. Now, they'll they'll say, well, it's not critical race theory. All they're doing is changing the title, and they're teaching the same stuff. Same stuff. Social-emotional learning. They're teaching political activism under that umbrella. And as I shared yesterday, the activism is never conservative. It's always progressive. Show me one example in your local Bartlesville public school systems where they've encouraged their students to get involved in a conservative event, such as a pro-life march, or a pro-Second Amendment rally, or a a, a, a positive conference on the Constitution of the United States. Or they've assigned them a paper to Explain why America has been exceptional more so than it has been negative in terms of what it's accomplished for human freedom and human dignity, Uh, women's suffrage, the the equality between the races, etc. Show me any assignment that's ever been of that ilk as opposed to the progressive agenda that's being pushed and promoted through the social-emotional learning curriculum. My point is this. Even in your local schools, in your own backyard, right here in the conservative corner of Oklahoma, the reddest of red states, right here in northeast Oklahoma. For example, the day after the school board elections, it is a fact that a representative of the Bartlesville Public Schools superintendent called a leader of the Gideons. The Gideons is a group that for decades has handed out free New Testaments to school children across the nation, and specifically here in the Bartlesville Public Schools. Well, the day after the election, the school superintendent's representative called a leader of our local Gideon's and told him that he could no longer distribute Bibles in the elementary schools here in Bartlesville Public School System. Hmm, Isn't it interesting that they waited until the day after the election, the school board elections, to call the Gideons and say, get your Bibles out of here. You cannot give them away any longer in our local schools. But does anybody know about this? And if you do know about it, and you're listening to me, and you're involved as a teacher or an administrator, why aren't you saying something about it? Why aren't you speaking up? I would argue that you're obligated to, just as I am. Again, it's my industry. It's my profession. And if I remain silent in the face of this evil, God's not going to hold me guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Well, anyway, one of the ways that we can speak is to point out where stuff is just being done poorly or being done wrong, uh, such as what I've done in the first half of this show. Or you can point out some historical facts that have been buried, ignored, and in fact denied. And one of those facts is a case for Christianity in the classroom. As I understand it, the first case that ever went to the Supreme Court where someone was arguing that they did not want Christianity in any shape or form taught in a public school was the case involving Stephen Girard's estate? It was in 1844, and a Frenchman named Stephen Girard had died. He, at the time, is cited as being the wealthiest man in America. And he left $7 million to establish a school for orphaned boys. And he specifically said that he did not want any ecclesiastic missionary or minister of any sect denomination whatsoever to hold or exercise any station or duty whatsoever in his college in other words he did not want any christianity to exist in this institution that he was founding now if it was a private institution i'm sure there would be uh, we wouldn't be hearing about this because he had every right to say that and establish a private school accordingly we may not agree with his priorities, his values, or lack thereof, but he had the right to establish a private school that was void of any Christianity. But the thing about this particular case is the school was to be set up as a public institution in Philadelphia. So, what happened? What happened? His family, Stephen Gerard's family, hired Daniel Webster of Dictionary fame, Daniel Webster, who was the premier attorney of the day, to challenge this particular will. Now, the family probably had less than noble reasons to challenge the will. They didn't want the $7 million to be given away. They wanted it for themselves. But nonetheless, they hired Daniel Webster to challenge this case. And guess what Daniel Webster did? Daniel Webster actually challenged it on the basis of the need, the obligation, the priority, the absolute necessity to teach Christianity in our public schools. So in this context, Daniel Webster argued the following, and I'm quoting from his particular statement to the Supreme Court of the United States, 1844. The plan of education proposed by Mr. Girard is derogatory to the Christian religion. It tends to weaken men's reverence for that religion and their conviction of its authority and importance, and therefore, in its general character, tends to mischievous and not useful ends. Close quote. So what was Daniel Webster's point? Mr. Girard's proposal for education within the public system is going to lend itself to mischievous and not useful ends. Because of what? It's derogatory to the Christian religion and tends to weaken men's reverence for that religion and their conviction of its authority and importance. Now, that sounds rather strange in terms of an argument before the Supreme Court of the United States, right? Well, how did the Supreme Court rule? Well, actually, they let... They let Mr. Girard's will stand. They let him fund this new public school. But you know what they said? In a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court of the United States, they said that Christianity could not be excluded from the school, but that the will could still stand because you didn't need a cleric to teach Christianity, that the lay people who were instructors, teachers, professors within this school, this college, had every right in the world and responsibility to teach Christianity, and therefore the $7 million could be used, as Mr. Girard specified in his will, that clerics... And ministers and missionaries could be prohibited from holding positions within the school, but that Christianity itself could not be prohibited, but in fact should be perpetuated in the schools. Here's their quote. And again, they're saying that the lay people, you and me, non-ministers, non-missionaries, non-clerics, can teach Christianity and should teach Christianity within the public schools. From the Supreme Court of the United States, here's what they said Christianity is not to be maliciously and openly reviled or blasphemed against to the annoyance of the believers, or the injury of the public. It is unnecessary for us, however, to consider the establishment of a school or college for the propagation of deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. And then they went on to say this, with regard to laymen, as I've already indicated. But this is their direct quote. Why may not laymen instruct in the general principles of Christianity, as well as the clergy? And we cannot overlook the blessings which such laymen, by their conduct, as well as their instructions, may, nay, must impart to their youthful pupils." Why may not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, without note or comment, be read and taught as a divine revelation in this college, its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly and so perfectly as from the New Testament? Where are benevolence, the love of truth, sobriety, an industry so powerfully and irresistibly inculcated as in the sacred volume. Close quote. The Supreme Court of the United States in its ruling on the Girard case and whether or not this college could be funded through the Girard estate as he specified. And again, his Will made it clear that he didn't want any religious professionals holding uh, professors' positions or administrative positions, teachers' positions within this institution. No clerics, no pastors, no priests, no missionaries were to be principals or presidents of this institution or even professors or teachers. Now, the Supreme Court said, fine, he can have his way on that one, but that doesn't mean that he can prohibit, or should prohibit, the teachings of the Bible in the public school. And in fact, the Supreme Court makes it very clear that such a prohibition would result in some very negative things for our country. Because what? What was their point? Because if you don't teach the positive lessons of the Bible, and specifically what they were referencing, the New Testament then you're going to end up with a culture that behaves badly because they won't learn the lessons of benevolence, of the love of truth, of sobriety and industry and self-control and love for neighbor and respect for your fellow man. The Supreme Court said that the New Testament teaches all of this and that no one should even think of prohibiting such lessons, such teachings, such texts from the public schools. Isn't that interesting? You've probably never heard this before, have you? So when you find that your local public school administrator, for example, the school superintendent of Bartlesville Public Schools, when you find that someone like that sends out a message the day after school board elections telling the leaders of the Gideons, that they can no longer distribute Bibles in the public schools. Remember this lesson from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States said you can't do that and you should not do that. Oh, You can do what you want in a private school, but in public schools, don't presume to disparage or discredit Christianity because Christianity is the very foundation of our constitutional republic. Because without Christian principles, the lessons of the New Testament, we will not have a populace, a body politic that understands sobriety and hard work and industry and honesty and integrity and chivalry. We won't have men and women who understand self-control and respect for their neighbor. We will implode upon ourselves in confusion and chaos because we excluded the very document that was the antidote against that disease from the very curriculum of our public schools. This is what the Supreme Court said. And your local superintendent has no right to defy that. But you, whether you're a parent or a grandparent who is sending your, your kids to these schools, or whether you're a teacher that's employed by one of these schools, you have the responsibility to know what I just told you. Educate yourself. Learn a little bit about our history. And then you have the responsibility to do something about it. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold you guiltless. You have to engage in the battle. Just hunkering down and being a good soldier is no longer acceptable in this cultural war. When you have rainbow banners being flown proudly in your schools and trans banners and flags likewise being waived without apology. While your superintendent tells you to get your Bibles out of the schools, you've got a problem, and it's your responsibility to say so. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.